Anybody who's a parent, you've heard these words before. Dad, but you said. Anybody ever been there? Dad, you said we would get ice cream. Dad, you said we would play Madden. You said we would play football. Mom, you said, but you said. Here's the good news about our Heavenly Father. We're never going to have to say, Father, but you said, and, and somehow He doesn't keep His word. Our Father is a perfect promise keeper. He always keeps His word. I've, we're starting a brand new series today in 2 Corinthians. And I've titled the series, Promises, Promises. Did that cue the 80s song? Promises, promises. Thought about doing that, but then I didn't want that stuck in your head. First, yeah, it's too late. 1 Corinthians 1.20, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God. Through us. All of God's promises are yes in Christ. Everything He's promised, everything you need in this life and the life to come is yes in Jesus Christ. You lack nothing. He is everything. The context of 2 Corinthians, is it's pretty important as we go through this, maybe you're going to read along over the next several weeks, is... Uh, let me start by asking you a personal question. Don't say it out loud, but think in your mind with me. Have you ever been slandered? You weren't supposed to say it out loud. Um, have you ever had someone question your integrity? Slander your character? And, that, and it, it was all false, right? None of it was true. We all probably have experienced that before. Well, that's exactly what Paul's point of view in 2 Corinthians is where he's coming from. You're going to see in this book, this letter to the Corinthians, his pain. And it might be the most personal letter of all 13 of his letters that we have in our New Testament. Because these super apostles came in behind the work of Paul in Corinth and began to, to make the Corinthian church question his pastorship his theology, his understanding of, of the gospel and Jesus. And so these people actually began to entertain these false accusations against Paul. And you'll, when you read it, you see this tug of war going on where Paul's trying to be gracious, but he's kind of ticked. He's ticked, ticked out of his hurt. He, he's been really hurt by this situation. So keep that in mind. The Corinthian church was very dear to the Apostle Paul. He, if you go through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, 1 through 18, is all about how Paul went on his missionary journeys, and he went into this town called Corinth, which is still a city in modern-day Greece today. And he went in, and he went to the synagogue like he always did, and he would go preach the gospel to the Jews first. And then he would take it to the Gentiles. Well, Paul plants a church there. And he spent a year and a half in Corinth with these people, it says. A year and a half of close contact, serving together, eating together, growing together. That makes for a personal relationship. This isn't some acquaintance that's questioning Paul's integrity and character. This is family. 
When an acquaintance or someone who barely knows you questions you, it doesn't hurt like when somebody who knows you that you've done life together with, that you've spent time together. So that's what's going on. Um, When it comes to understanding in our New Testament, we have 1 Corinthians and we have 2 Corinthians. There was actually four letters to the church at Corinth. We have the first letter that Paul wrote, which we find in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. He says, in my previous letter, I wrote to you about etc., etc., XYZ. So we don't have the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. His second letter to the church is what we call 1 Corinthians. And then there's a third letter that we don't have. We find that in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 3 and 4. That in between these letters, he had written them again. Again, remember, near and dear to his heart. And when we're reading this, you're reading a personal letter from a person to people whom he loved. It'd be like if, if I got called away and was in another part of the world and I wrote you guys a letter from my heart. That's what we're reading here. That's what, that's what Paul's writing. The fourth letter is what we call 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia. Macedonia is a region today that's, that we would you know, call Bulgaria or some of the Slavic countries that are north of Greece. He was on one of his missionary journeys where the Holy Spirit directed him to take the gospel to Europe. And that's how the gospel ended up going uh, through all of Europe. And so promises, promises. And if all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, then we're going to see promises along the way that Paul reminds us of. And today is the promise of comfort. Today's word is for those who are in need of comfort. You're grieving. You're, you're hurting. You're, you've been through something difficult. Maybe you've been betrayed. You need comfort. And for those that aren't in a season right now directly, you've either been in that season or it's coming where you're going to need to know how do I receive the comfort of God in the midst of terrible pain in my life? Again, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, this is so beautiful, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him... The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. They're yes in Christ, and we say amen. You know what the word amen means? So be it, or I agree. So be it, I agree. There's two promises before we get into the the letter of 2 Corinthians this morning that Jesus made from his his own words. The first promise Jesus made is this, life hurts. Have you figured that one out? Life hurts. I love the honesty of Jesus. As good as life can be, relationally, etc., in circumstances, life also brings heartache. It brings trials. It brings suffering. It really does. I love the honesty of Jesus. Here's what he said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. 
So Jesus didn't you know, try to tell us that everything was going to be smooth just because we follow him. No, he said in this world, in this life that you have, you're going to have trials and sufferings of many kind, but he has overcome. Take courage, he's conquered the world. The best thing you and I, and I am so speaking to myself this morning, that you and I can remind ourselves every day is this. This is not heaven. This ain't heaven. This is not the new Jerusalem. We're not in the new heavens and the new earth that are coming in the future. This is not heaven. We struggle with suffering and people who don't know Jesus struggle big time with this. People who, who, who follow Jesus struggle too is we struggle with it because we want this world to be heaven. Am I right? We want this world to be the place with no sorrow, no sin, no death, no, none of that. But it's not. We're not there. We are, we are between worlds right now. And so as, as life comes at you, as you have a health problem, as you have relational problems, you have whatever problems, that's part of being human. It's part of our human condition at the moment. Revelation 21 says that when Jesus comes again and sets all things right, the restoration of all things, the apokatos in Greek, when he does that, there will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow. He will wipe away every tear. We're not there yet. We still got tears. We still have difficulties that, that we're going to go through. Jesus came the first time not to solve all the problems of the world. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. He didn't come the first time for any of those reasons. He came to defeat the real problem of sin, death, and the evil one. And he did that through his life, death, and resurrection. He did it. It's a done deal. We're just learning how to live in what is, what is reality from Jesus' vantage point, from how he sees life. He's going to come again, and he's going he's to right every wrong. So first promise from Jesus, I get it. It's not the fun promise that life hurts. But the second promise is this, God heals. Say it with me. Life hurts, life hurts, God heals. Life hurts, God heals. That's the good news. He told the disciples this, he says, and the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all things that I said to you. What a promise. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter and the Counselor. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you and I to be the, the personal presence of the Father and Son with us 24-7. We don't have to pray, God be with me. God be with us. He's with us. Our prayer is, God, make me aware of your presence. Make me aware. Make me experience you. So life hurts, but the comforter, he heals. God heals. Three things we see in, in this first chapter of 2 Corinthians is that suffering produces three things. If you're taking notes, if you don't know this, on our app that you can have on your phone, the notes are always under... Uh, sermon resources, then you can follow along and fill in the blanks and all that and email it to yourself and meditate on it later. But the first thing that suffering produces is the ability to comfort others. 
when you go through suffering yourself, you, you now have a, tools to help somebody else who goes through what you've been through. God never wastes a hurt. Somebody once said that. God will not waste a hurt. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's an important verse to memorize. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is the feeling of compassion that we have when we realize someone's hurting. They're going through some difficulty. They've had a loss. And we feel sympathy. Empathy is, is, is a next step of sympathy where empathy is um, you've been through the same suffering that somebody's been through. So now you, you learn to empathize with them. You, it's like, for example, if a couple goes through a miscarriage and you hear about it, you have sympathy if you have not experienced a miscarriage as a couple yourself. But when you've experienced that as a couple, you empathize with somebody. And you, through prayerfully receive comfort from God, you can comfort those with the same comfort you've received from God. People who have been through pain, people who have been through loss, abuse, people who allow God to heal them, they make great comforters. There's a choice there. Am I going to allow God to comfort me and heal me, or am I going to get bitter in the situation? Sadly, that happens a lot, where people get mad at God and they just run from Him. But people who say, Lord, comfort me, and you receive that, they make great counselors, they make great comforters, they make great listeners, because it's an empathetic ear that says, I've been there, I've been through that, and I'm with you. Another thing that suffering produces is a reliance on God instead of self. Reliance on God instead of self. Paul continues, he says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You don't realize that Jesus, you don't realize that you have all you need until you realize Jesus is all you have at the end of the day. That makes sense? You don't realize you have all you need in the person of Jesus until he's all you have. And that's true for all of us, though. He really is all that you and I have. People can be taken away. That's just the reality of death. A spouse can be taken away. A loved one, a friend, money, finances, a career, that all can be taken away, but Jesus can't be taken away. How many know that's good news? He can't be taken away. So no matter what you've been through or going through or will go through, Jesus, the comforter, is with you, and he cannot be taken from you. The third thing that suffering produces is thankfulness in all things. Thankfulness in all things. Let me make this clear to you. God does not orchestrate suffering. 
He is not the author of trials and suffering. Life is. The fall is. This present world that we live in is the author of of all of it. He doesn't orchestrate it. But he does have this sovereign power to work all things together for good, including suffering and trials and struggles and loss. Because he's a good father. The other night, Chase, who is our oldest daughter, she's just got out of the Navy, married to a guy in the Navy. They live on a Marine base on Oahu in Hawaii. Tough place to go visit our granddaughter, let me tell you. But our little granddaughter, Jolene, she has my heart. She's one and a half. Any grandparent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She has my heart wrapped (laughs) around her cute little finger right now. And Chase uh, told us that she, Jolene, was out in the grass and that she she stepped on something in the grass that poked her her little foot and it started to bleed. It's the first time she had ever cut herself and it, it bled pretty good. And so Chase showed us some pictures where she was putting a, a Band-Aid on it and taking care of little Jolene. And then she, she uh, took a video of Jolene. We had, we had given her a little mini Target shopping cart for Christmas because <laughs> she, she likes to pretend she's shopping and putting things in her little Target thing. She's seen mom do that and helped, helps her push the cart. And in the, in the little video she sent, she was like hobbling because her foot still hurt. And it crushed me. Like, I know she's going to be okay, but I text Chase like 15 times, how's her foot, how's her foot, how's her foot? I love her so much, and she's never done one thing for me other than bring me joy, just because she exists. That's the Father's heart for you. He doesn't love you for what you do for Him. He loves you because you exist, because He created you. That, if I have that kind of unconditional love for little Jolene, how much more does our perfect Heavenly Father have unconditional love for you? Don't let your circumstances dictate to you whether God loves you or not. Jesus said in this life you're going to go through stuff. But take courage. I've overcome Paul says this, he says, if you also join in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor granted to us through the prayers of many. Thankfulness. Suffering produces thankfulness. God doesn't orchestrate it and say, I'm going to make you suffer so you can be thankful. No, he's not a bad father. He's a good father. He uses it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, not on your notes, But it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say give thanks for your circumstance. Thank you for cancer. Thank you for a financial crisis. Thank you for betrayal. No. Give thanks in those things because it's God who's working in you. Romans 8.28, for God... Um, God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. He doesn't call bad things good. He works bad things for good. Keep that in your heart. And that's how you can be thankful in all things because the circumstances are growing your faith as you trust Him. 
So a couple more things out of this passage in 2 Corinthians 1. What do you do when you're hurting? What should we do when we're hurting? The first thing I would tell you is this. Receive the comfort of the comforter. If you've had loss, you're grieving, you're in pain, receive the comfort of the only one who can truly comfort you. He's the comforter. Again, God is our merciful Father and the source of some comforting. Didn't say that, right? He's the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. I know this, often I look in the wrong places for comfort when I'm in pain. Anybody been there? You'll admit it with me. We look to the wrong places. None of you raised your hand. (laughs) I just kidding. I I felt very exposed up here for a second. We, We look for comfort in the wrong things. And I think there's four things we can do, possibilities with our suffering. Three of them are wrong. One is the right thing to do when you're in pain. The first wrong thing is you can deny it. I'm not in pain. Yeah, you are. We try to deny that we're in pain and you stuff it. It's going to make its way to the surface somehow, some way. Whether it's anger, a breakdown, who knows. Or you can try to numb your pain. You can try to numb it with alcohol, drugs, pornography, shopping on the QVC network late at night. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, and it's, it's numbing that pain, it's not healthy. Or you can run from it. But the problem of running from your suffering and your pain is it goes with you wherever you go. It follows you around. The right thing to do in receiving the comfort of the comforter is to embrace your pain. Embrace it. God meets you right there in your pain. He meets you in your pain. He's with you. The comforter is with you. If you need, be real with God and yourself and others. Men, we're not good at that. Men of Novation, we need to be authentic and be real with our wives, be real with our friends, be real with one another. I'm a hurting unit right now. Say that. Cry if you have to cry. Grieve when you need to grieve. It's an emotion that God gave you, and we need to be real with how we feel. David says in Psalm 62, 8, he says, Trust the Lord at all times and pour your heart out to Him. You ever poured your heart out to somebody and just pulled that back? I heard, I heard a preacher one time say that, that intimacy is pulling back the curtains of your heart and saying, into me see, here I am. Here's the raw footage of my life, so to speak. Pour your heart out to God. Let Him know you're struggling. Let Him know you're hurting. And then when you're hurting, secondly, learn from your hurt. Learn from it. You can learn when you go through difficulty and suffering, you can learn from it. And that's part of our walk with Jesus. Jesus was called the man of sorrows. So he knows pain. He knows betrayal. Listen to this truth. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. 
and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And in this hope, will, this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. That's beautiful. What a, what a powerful promise. Let me make this personal. Who has hurt you in your life? Every one of us have been hurt by somebody. Who's the person in your life that's difficult to love? I'm thinking of a few. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to make a serious moment. Not so... Not so. Here's the question. Can you, in your own strength, love that person? Can you find this feeling of love for that person? Probably not. But the question we should ask ourselves is, does the Holy Spirit love that person? Can the Holy Spirit, through you, Have you loved that difficult person or that person that hurt you? Can the Holy Spirit cause you to do Sermon on the Mount kind of things like love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, bless those who persecute you? Yes. You need to give a wholehearted amen to yes. I can't do it in myself, but the Holy Spirit in me can and will do it as I let Him have His way. That's what we have to always remember. You learn from it. As you forgive others, you start realizing, wow, Lord, you forgave me. How can I not forgive this person? You've forgiven me all my junk. I woke up this morning on the wrong side of the bed. Have you ever done that? Not literally. Janelle always has her side of the bed. But I just woke up grouchy. I was like, ooh, gosh, you don't have the right attitude right now. And I went and repented to her. Like 40 times, I usually do that. <laughs> please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. But God's good. And you learn to apologize the more you know you've been forgiven. You can't stay in this state of, well, they're mad at me or whatever. You learn to apologize and you learn to forgive. Not in the notes, but hey. Lastly, when you're hurting, comfort others. Comfort others. There's a a practice in counseling and therapy called look-around therapy. And look-around therapy is when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, instead of looking inward, you look around at somebody else, look for somebody else that's hurting or in need, and you serve them, and you encourage them. And when you look around and find somebody else to encourage or to serve, all of a sudden you forget you're depressed and discourage. It's called look around therapy. There was a a pastor named Henry Nowen, and he wrote a lot of books. My favorite book by him is The Wounded Healer, and it's his personal story as he was he was in a state of burnout, and he was hurt by people. Ministry is is not for the faint of heart, I promise you. And he was he was hurt. He, he just. It felt thankless to him, and he was really discouraged. Instead of quitting, he decided that he was going to go serve in a a home for people who um, 
could not do anything for themselves. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't go to the bathroom by themselves. They had to be 100% taken care of physically and, and literally. And so he goes and he begins to, to serve these people who cannot do one thing for him. There's no, hey, thanks, pastor. Thanks for doing this or whatever. It's completely, you're unconditionally serve. He was unconditionally serving people who could not do one thing for him. And he said, through serving these people, he was healed. He was healed from burnout. He was healed from all the discouragement because he unconditionally poured himself out for, for people who could not do one thing for him. And that is, he was comforting others. And as he comforted others, he was comforted by the Comforter, by the Holy Spirit himself. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, he says this, but God who comforts the discouraged comforted us by the arrival of Titus. He's saying God comforted us through Titus. Titus came and helped us in our discouragement. And so as you comfort others, you are actually the presence of Jesus comforting somebody else. You can be a comforter yourself. My, mom, uh, my mom suffered big time when my oldest brother passed away. He died at the age of 48 in 2007. And it was sudden. It caught everybody off guard. It really caught my mom off guard. Because there's some family dynamics um, with that situation that just always caused her to grieve. And... She grieved until the day she died of his death. But I'll never forget her as when he passed away and I was at my parents' house and people were coming from everywhere to bring food, to sit with her, to grieve with her. She wouldn't have been able to tell you a word anybody said, but she could tell you who showed up in her time of grief. And that comforted her. Comforting others, sometimes it's not what you say. People don't always need the right words. Especially us men, right? We're problem solvers. we got to have the right word. But it's really, who showed up when I was in pain? Who showed up when I was grieving? Not what they said. It was what they did that was most important. So we stand with me. We're going to go into a song. We're going to take communion together this morning. And as we prepare our hearts for the bread and the juice, my encouragement is that you receive comfort today. And maybe for you, you've never agreed with Jesus. That, and that's what faith is, agreeing with Jesus, that He's Savior, He's Lord, and He's the Comforter. And maybe today you're like, Lord, comfort me. Lord, I'm, I'm in pain. Or Lord, prepare me for what's to come in my life so that I'm not caught off guard and that I am strengthened by you, Holy Spirit, by you, Lord Jesus, by you, Heavenly Father.
and you receive that comfort. So when we come and grab the bread and the juice, we're going to take it together. So come and you can come and make your way up here on both sides. There's some in the back. Grab the bread, grab the juice, make your way back to your seat. We're going to sing and then we'll take the elements together. message is kind of serious, but suffering is serious. Pain is real. And we need to take Jesus serious. Some of you have been through some big trials. And I sympathize and empathize with you. But better yet, the Lord Jesus does. He loves you. He gave His very best for you and I to receive comfort. And the one thing that can comfort you and I more than anything is what's to come. We have a, a future in the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. No sin, no sorrow, no pain, no death. 
And that can't be taken from you and I. I woke up this morning. (sighs) I woke up this morning and I told you I was grouchy. And I was in the shower asking for God's forgiveness for for being grouchy. And I just said, I believe, Lord. I'm all in. Like, there's nowhere else to go. I have all the chips, man. I'm banking 120% on Jesus Christ. Are you with me? 100%. We're banking all in. Peter said, when Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? He said, where are we going to go? You hold the words to eternal life. When life brings you difficulties, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I'm going to him. I'm with him. Because he knows exactly what we're going through. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Lord, we remember your love for us. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son that we might have life and eternal life. Jesus, thanks for being real with us that in this life we're going to have struggles. We're not there yet. We're not in heaven. But that you have sent the comforter to comfort and heal us. And we proclaim it until the day you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before we go, Joel and Alicia and the Dennis family, they're going to have something to share with us. Joel and Alicia and their 12 children, you can sit real quick, have been an integral part of my life. Uh, I've known them since they were ninth, in ninth grade, and I was Joel's small group leader before I was ever in full-time ministry, and such dear friends and good people. Uh, great couple, great family, and uh, I need a big hug from a big man. Uh, whenever somebody leaves a church, for whatever reason, I mean, obviously you always want them to leave for the right reasons and in the right way. Um, you know, it sucks. Like, 
I don't want them to leave. I'm going to let you, them explain what's going on with them. But uh, we've done a lot of life together, a lot of ministry and friendships. Um, but, and it stinks when people leave. But I always pray people will do it right. They will do it right. And they will do exactly what Joel and Alicia have prayed for at least a year when, once they moved up north and farther away. They've been praying and seeking the Lord. Their decision of what they're going to share with you is not willy-nilly or quick. And I know it's painful for them, but they're following the will of the Lord. And so when somebody says, man, Lord, I want to, I want to do your will, and if it's a season and they, someone has to move on, you do it right, that's the way to do it. And to say goodbye and to stay in friendship. And so I didn't know, I didn't prepare a whole lot for this, guys, other than blows. I have to say this. I love you. Uh, not going to be long. We just, when we moved to the house a year and a half ago, um, felt like we were still committed here. That was the question everybody asked, and I feel like we have been. Um, and we just feel like God is calling us to fully move there. Um, the, the house that we lived in, that's really where our older kids grew up in. This house is going to be where the younger kids grew up in, and we want them to have community that's closer and nearer, and that's the call that we feel like God is coming to us. So, yeah, it's been a wild ride, 30 years. 1993 is when Scott and I met. and We met a couple weeks ago, and he just was saying thankful for being able to be in ministry together, and that's not going to change. Um, we may not be here, but we're still for an ovation. Um, I love you guys. This this is a church that helped me grow, that helped me develop. First place I was ever able to preach and share my heart and my story and feel comforted by you guys. So the relationships are the hardest part. Um, but... We love Novation. Um, can't anything to say. That's it. We stretch out a hand towards these amazing folk. Father, I, I think about stories we read in Scripture, the book of Acts, and Paul's heart for for people and churches that he started, and how the, through tears, sometimes he had to depart from them. I thank you that Joel and Alicia are on their way to Jerusalem to stand trial for the gospel, but they're going to be salt and light in their community. Lead them to the right fellowship. Lead them to the right place where they can grow their family, Lord. They have an amazing calling on their life. They're gifting. Um, Joel and Alicia and your kids, we bless you. We bless your decision knowing that you are led by the Holy Spirit. We bless you. We're grateful for you. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do through them, what you've done through them. Thank you for the, the pillars in, this, in your church, not just Novation, but in your church worldwide. Thank you for their future. Thank you that our friendship doesn't depend upon where they fellowship, but it goes beyond that, Lord. So bless them, keep them. 
Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them this day forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. They'll be uh, signing autographs and kissing babies out in the lobby, I'm sure. Yeah.